Welcome to the Bright Business Women podcast, where we explore the backstories of successful business founders, company directors, authors, speakers, creative geniuses, and professional service providers. Listen as we explore what makes these creative, lively, enterprising people tick. Expect the unexpected, true stories, life hacks, funny anecdotes, even some outrageous controversy, if we're lucky. I'm your host, Pauline Bright. Let's dive in. Episode 13. I subscribe to the view that people go to work not just to make a living, but to contribute in a way that's fulfilling, not only for themselves, but for the company, its customers and suppliers. It is business for humans. The most successful organisations throughout history are those that tap into the unique ability of people to be creative. It's a natural human desire to create, contribute and interact with things that are bigger than ourselves. Yet most HR systems don't deliver that. They prioritise compliance ahead of engagement, control ahead of leadership and tasks ahead of outcomes. As a licensed agent for the HVAC to people management system myself, I'm delighted to be talking with Andrew Senor, co-founder of the HFactor, a very different kind of human resources system. You might also like to listen to the conversation I had with Robin Moyle, Andrew's business partner, on episode six of the Bright Business Women podcast. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Pauline. Great to have you here. So nice I wanna, to be here. I really want to dive into HR, and, and HR gets a bad rap. It has, and I know that, um, I don't know about you, but human resources kind of grates on me. It doesn't really talk about people. So let's talk about people and the evolution of the HR industry. Well, I'm probably not an expert on the history of HR, that's for sure, but I can tell you that a lot of what we do in HR now and a lot of the processes that are common in companies originated in a very different work environment to the one that we operate in now. Mm. So um, things like the performance appraisal, for example, has its roots back in the 1960s with mm. General Electric. And you think about what the workplaces looked like in 1960s and 1970s compared to what they look like now. And think of the hierarchical structures that organisations used in those periods of time compared to how they might work now. So we're hanging on to a lot of things in the way we manage people that are buried in a time that probably is no longer relevant for us. And so it's, you know, it's, it's good for us to be looking at these things going, is this really right for us now? Is this really the way, reflective of the way we want to manage people, the, the way we want to build relationships in our organisations and is, it, is what we're doing nurturing those relationships or is it instilling a control process and actually inhibiting contribution rather than encouraging contribution? And in my corporate life, for example, I saw many instances where um, when people had gone through the performance appraisal process, the process itself was so demotivating that performance declined. Mm. Um, and I experienced that myself. It was just a horrible process that nobody enjoyed. And I'm pretty sure if you'd asked any of us what the actual outcome of it was, I don't think any of us would have answered. Mm. But certainly it left us feeling cold, it left us feeling disconnected, 
and it felt like that we were being managed as a thing rather than respected as a person. Mm. And so it comes down to how do you want to manage your people and are the processes that you're using in your organisation helpful for that? Are they encouraging contribution? And most of all, are they nurturing the relationships so they're going to encourage people to go the extra mile, do the extra little thing? And if the answer to that is no, then you probably need to say, well, why am I still doing this? Mm. And that's how we feel a lot about a lot of the HR processes that are in organisations at the moment. Mm. And we've really come a long way, haven't we? Because we, um, we now listen to people. Well, presumably we listen to people now when they say they want more from their job. They don't just want to go to work uh, for the paycheck. They actually want to go to work and feel fulfilled. They want to feel that they're contributing to something. So that old method of crack the whip and make people do as they're told is really outdated now. So um, is that why HR gets such a bad rap? Like what's, what is this thing? I Googled it and, and you can find a lot of evidence about HR having a bad rap. Yeah, and sometimes that's not deserved either. Let's be, let's be honest about yeah. that. Poor performance. Poor performance should be dealt with. Right, so if that's the intent of having an HR process, then well, I'm all for it. Mm. Um, so I think one of the reasons why it gets a bad rap, though, is that it, it goes back to um, how managers are supported at the ground level. Mm. So there's not a lot in the HR process that actually helps a manager to manage people. There's a lot that helps them manage things mm. and tasks and activities businesses often have all sorts of systems to help them with that but there's not much that actually helps them in the management of the relationship between the people they manage and themselves mm. and guide that relationship to be something that's productive and constructive mm. rather than merely a means to an end mm. so in most management processes that I've seen the activities and the acti and the actions rate higher than the relationships and the outcomes huh. in the way they encourage behaviour. So it's left up to them individual managers to work out their own style for how they manage the relationships. Mm. And we know that people leave managers. People come to work for an organisation, but then they leave a manager because mm. they don't like the way they're being managed. Mm. So we know also that if you had 10 managers in the room, and you ask them their process for how they manage people, you'll probably get 10 different answers. Mm. So that has implications for the culture of the organisation um, and also the standard of performance. So my performance and bringing the best out of me is as much about the process that's used to nurture that relationship mm. as much as it is about the personalities. In fact, I'd argue it's more about that process than it is mm. about the personality. And you're right because it's one of those things that a lot of um, businesses start off very small with the person, the business owner, actually doing the work of the business and they've not been trained, they don't have a system, they really they bring on people without really having any process or uh, instructional guidance in how to manage people. So they just kind of do the best they can and it doesn't always work out. So, you know, it's a good idea to get some kind of guidance and some kind of training but um, doesn't always happen. So um, 
what do you see? So with that in mind, what do you see? Because, I mean, I see this a lot with coaching. What do you see as the main problems when managers are dealing with people in the business? Where do they stumble? Where do they fall over? Um, it's hard to say. I think that the, the, there's an excessive amount of focus on personality, I think. So let's just acknowledge that everyone's different. That shouldn't stop us from working together and it shouldn't require us to classify everybody so that we need to use the right language for dealing with this personality type versus a different language we're using with that personality type. Um, I think there's excessive amounts of focus on leadership just making you a good person rather than being outcomes focused. Mm. And, you know, nearly all the leadership material I've read um, basically boils down to be a good person. Well, you know that's not necessarily very helpful in the workplace when you're dealing with some difficult situations and conflicts and issues and lack of performance and all those things that are actually hard to manage, mm. right? So where's the um, support in the organisation for managers in having those difficult decisions? Mm. The leadership advice can't just, be, can't just be take a few courage pills and get on with it. Mm. Um, no, there's got to be a process. It's got to be a system that enables it and actually over time makes those conversations more comfortable mm. on both sides. I mean, it's not very nice being on the receiving end of that conversation. Either, no. Right. And, you know, let's face it, the easiest way to manage people is stand in the corner and bark instructions. Right. Everything else requires effort. Mm. And the challenge with that is that often that effort feels wasted. Mm. because the manager puts all that effort in, they're trying to really do the right thing, and then they find themselves spinning wheels, having the same conversations over and over again, and feeling like there's not a lot of progress going on. Mm. And so what a process and a system does is it helps avoid that spinning of wheels, helps there become traction so that things can move forwards, and everyone in that relationship can be clear about what the next steps are. Mm. and what performance looks like. Um, so I think it is um, the challenge for managing people isn't so much being a good person. Let's assume everyone's a good person. I know very few people in my career of 30-something years of people who have deliberately gone to work to do a bad job. Mm. Mm. Right, so... Let's, let's try and turn that around. Let's try and try and, instead of trying to manage the risk of that, let's try and tap into the opportunity that there's all these people coming to work every day with really good intentions. Mm. Our job as managers is to help them to channel those intentions and those activities and that energy into the right places. Yes. Um, I'm often faced with businesses that um, think that employing a new manager will improve their business. And so, but they don't bring them in with any kind of system in mind. They, they kind of bring them in with the idea that this person will fix everything that needs fixing. And what usually happens is that person will bring their own good stuff and bad stuff and they will try to manage in the best way they can and they will start to make up their own systems if there are no systems in place. But the way I look at it is if you can... Um, if you can have a proper system in place and manage a people management system in place before you hire somebody, um, you can give them the best tools possible so they can do their job as well as they can. Instead of 
getting them to come in and try and fix things. So it becomes overwhelming for a lot of people. And it's really, it's a bit of a pass the buck kind of strategy. And it doesn't really work that well. So um, the system, I think, is probably the most important underlying thing here, getting everything humming along just nicely. So let's talk there's about... Element, there's an element to that, though, Pauline. Sorry, there's an element to that, though, because if you employ that manager, and I've seen for business, small businesses fall into this trap so many times. In fact, there's a, um, the E-Myth by Michael E. Gerber is a great case study in, in this, of course. Um, the, the trap is you employ this person with the idea that they're going to fix everything. But as a business owner and a founder and the person who started everything and, you know, it's, it's part of your it's an extension of who you are in many cases. So what authority are you giving that new manager? Mm. And how is their authority and the responsibility you're expecting them to accept aligned and that's always the biggest challenge I've seen in those situations. The person wants them to come in and have all the responsibility for the performance of the business moving forwards. But hang on, don't make any decisions without talking to me first. Mm. Right. So, you know, authority and responsibility have to go hand in glove. Mm. And it's a big um, challenge to build the right process that gives you as an owner or a you know a business leader the confidence to have a truly delegated management process mm. and most people sort of think the person's going to come in and bring that with them well they generally don't no and in honestly they can't no so I think that's where having that system in place is really important and you've got to think of it as a delegated management system because it's this when you can rely on the system rather than the person you build confidence and you then shift the focus away from managing the personality mm. to managing the way we work together and that is a much more constructive and productive way of going about building something mm. And it's about creating an environment where everybody can do their best work, isn't it? Without having to sort out personality challenge or system challenges and he, should, he said, she said kind of challenges so that people are working in an environment that is geared towards doing their best work, contributing their best um, talents and skills. What's the relationship for a business owner? What's the relationship between them and their workers what's the expectation these days it used to be just you know the manager would just crack the whip and people would just do as they're told what what's the desired relationship today i think it's different in different organizations and that's a healthy thing um and it's also generational so we know that um generation younger than you and i pauline have different expectations about what work means and they're looking for work that is fulfilling and work that is stimulating and they're looking for opportunities to learn. And in a way, that's not much different to what it was when, you know, when I was at their age, I was probably the same, really. Just probably wasn't as good as articulating it as they are, wasn't yeah. as confident about it as they are. Um, so I don't think it's significantly different but they are much more willing to talk about it and much more willing to ask for it. 
and that can be confronting for many managers. Mm. Um, but when when you step back and think about it, if we get that right, we'll create an awesome workplace. Mm. Um, we'll create an awesome workplace where people grow together, learn together, and the relationship that's built with that is one of trust. It's one of um, constructive contribution. It's one of learning. It's one of mentoring and it's one of coaching. Mm. So rather than being one of in the old part, it was like you you will respect me just because I've got the authority. It becomes much more about, well, I've actually got experience and I can share it with you and we can learn together. And, you know, it's a much more collaborative relationship. Mm. 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 Um, and it's, I think that's that's what people generally expect more and more of these days. Mm. I, one of the complaints I often hear is from the employees that the management don't tell them anything. They don't bring them into their confidence and, and um, make them part of the process as well. So it's a shame, isn't it? Because it's you've got these amazing people and you've employed them, but they're, they're there just kind of doing a, a, a job um, and and they're not being they're not being utilized to their best actual advantage. They've got all these amazing talents and skills and things that most business owners probably wouldn't even know about because they've never allowed them to let those things shine. Um, so that's what I like about the H factor. It has the ability to draw out those talents and skills to for people to for really to people to contribute in a way that is meaningful for them, but also has uh, a beneficial effect for the business. But if you don't tell people where you're going and what what's you know what's involved, and people can't really get on that bandwagon of of let me get involved, let me do something, let me contribute to this. So, um, why do you think? Because I think there's a lot of fear involved here. So, what do you think those people are afraid of if they speak up? Who's those people? So those people, well, there's, there's two groups here. So there's the employers, the employees um, who want to do a better job, but they're scared of trying new things. And I'm, I'm a great believer in, I like uh, Seth Godin's uh, thing about uh, this might not work. So sometimes in an in a, in a employee situation, they want to try things, but they're too scared because if they try that and it doesn't work, they could lose their job. So how do we get over that? Like what's, if that's, that's the fear I see, is there something else you see that is not, that I'm not seeing maybe? <clears throat> well, fear begets fear, right? So often the fear starts with the management or the manager mm. being afraid to lose control. Mm. So they've got accountabilities. Um, I, as a manager, have accountabilities my performance is judged against how well I achieve those accountabilities. And I, my fear naturally is that um, my team, um, I won't have control of my team in the sense that they won't help me to be able to achieve those accountabilities or, or they may not be pulling all in the same direction or, mm. you know, that, that's a, it's a fear-driven thing. So what's, what's the, what comes back the other way then is a fear-driven response. Mm. so as a as a person being managed under that environment i'm going to be more reserved about how i talk about my successes i'm going to be much more reserved about how i talk about the things that i'm finding challenging 
and I'm going to be much more reserved about things I don't know. Mm. So it's about providing an environment where it's psychologically safe for people to explore the possibilities, including the possibility that this might not be right. Mm. So I'm working mm. really hard on something at the moment and, you know, I'm spending a lot of time on it. And sometimes I just have this niggling feeling in the back of my mind that just isn't right. I can't articulate it very well. I don't know how to say this, but I feel like I need to. Yeah. So how do you get the person to say that? How do you get them to say, how do you get them willing to explore that conversation yes. in a psychologically safe environment? And as a manager, you definitely want to have that conversation because mm. if there's a barrier to achieving your outcomes, then why wouldn't you want to know what that barrier is so that mm. you can work together to try and break it down? Mm. Um, so I think creating that psychologically safe place where people feel free to explore the possibilities mm. is really important and creating a space for that curiosity. And it seems that the, the performance review, the traditional performance review is not the right tool to use there because it becomes a a judgmental thing you know people are trying to find out where are all the mistakes and how do we fix them and how do we go forward rather than tapping into that person's um, genius if you like yeah well I've always thought the real benefit of a performance conversation is two things from a manager's perspective it's an understanding of the barriers that are preventing performance to its highest level so that you can work together and help break those barriers down. Mm. And from a person being managed perspective, otherwise it was about opening you up to the blind things that you didn't see. Mm. So making you aware of your limitations and helping you become comfortable with exploring them and being comfortable to expand your capabilities and your, um, your horizons so that you're better able to contribute. Mm. And I don't see much in the traditional performance appraisal that generates that conversation, to be mm. honest, particularly when it's a rating-based process because you'll inevitably end up talking about the rating. Yes. Um, so I rated you a three and you rated me a four and um, we're now going to talk about the difference between a three and a four, but none of that's actually talking about what am I going to do differently or what are you going to do differently. Yes. So yeah. it's the ultimate cop-out, actually. And in the end, what it, what it becomes is everyone just hovers towards the middle. Yeah. Because it's safe territory to explore. Um, so we need to be really careful. Hey, ratings have their place. Um, they have a place when they enable the difficult conversation. Yeah. But too often they don't actually enable that difficult conversation. They create a little way of sidestepping it because you get to talk about the rating rather than the actual performance. <laughs> yes. It's not very personal, is it? Hi, um, I was talking to somebody yesterday about, about the H factor, actually, and talking about, um, uh, let's say you have a, a, a role in a business that is salesperson. Now, if you have more than one salesperson the likelihood is that each person is going to approach sales in a different way. They have different strengths. So some people might be great at cold calling. Other people might be great at networking and relationships and building relationships. There's a whole lot of, there's a, a, 
a human package inside that really. And so this person was worried about if, um, if we stamp salesperson on that, and if you tell me what to do, my person can't do that because they're not like that. They're not like this other person over here in the sales role. So the idea behind this, which I really love, is that, yes, there's a salesperson role, but the outcome conversations you have with that person gets them to describe the role and the best way they can perform in that role. The things, the tasks they can do, the, the projects they can take on inside that role that will achieve the outcome. So um, talk to me more about outcome conversations and why they're such a, a big part of the eight-factor system. Well, <laughs> it's quite a big quote. It's a, a big, big question, I know. <laughs> um, it's like the H-factor system in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, outcomes uh, enable a shift. So let's step back a second. So in, in most job descriptions, there will be someone who's written a job description and then given it to somebody else. Right. And, and maybe there's some feedback in that, but not always. And in that job description, there's usually a whole pile of tasks and activities that somebody else must do. And then the conversation about performance becomes almost like a checkbox process where you've achieved the task or you haven't, or, you know, you may be getting a six on this task and a two on this task or whatever the rating system is. Right. But the question I have with that is who owns that task list? Mm. And that's really person doing it mm. more often not the actual owner of that task list both psychologically and physically is the person who wrote it mm. with all their biases so so it becomes in that context quite difficult for a person to genuinely take ownership of their job because mm. if you've given me the tasks then you're assessing me against those tasks which you gave me how brave do I have to be to say, I don't think this is the right task. <laughs> right? And here's why. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I have to be pretty brave to have that conversation. So what outcomes do is enable us to have a shift. The outcomes of, of a role can, can indeed be described by the manager or the business leader and need to be because you know every every role exists for a reason there's a mm. reason why a person's coming to work every day to do stuff and the stuff is the outcomes that the business owner wants to achieve so now we can have a different conversation with the person actually doing that job and we can say if this is the outcome in your role how would you like to achieve it now what we've done is we've created the space for that negotiation to take place so just like buying a house, I can now take ownership of my job because I'm negotiating what performance will look like. And we can now share the ownership of these activities and tasks because we're negotiating them. Mm. And the more free and equal that negotiation, the more that ownership is going to shift. Mm. Right. And it's not saying that some people don't own their jobs with an existing job description. We all know some people do. But what this enables is for that process to happen much quicker and much more evenly and much more consistently throughout the organisation. Hmm. So it becomes less on who's a good person 
and becomes more about who's, who's really on top of achieving their outcomes, who's really on top of understanding their outcomes, and who's really on top of um, understanding how what they're doing is contributing to achieving the outcomes they were employed for in the first place. Mm. So one of the biggest frustrations with most managers is they see people being very busy, but they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. And that's what happens when you create a task-based job descriptions because a person will always point to the job description and say, well, I'm doing that. Mm. Very busy sitting in front of my computer. <laughs> yes. Right. So um, it also facilitates an easier way to have difficult conversations mm. because it's a negotiation process from the outset. Mm. So when performance isn't as expected, and that's really a surprise, actually. You've got a tool to say, hang on, let's just, you know, is what we're doing now actually helping us achieve this outcome? Or is there something better we could be doing? Mm. And now we get to renegotiate. Mm. And so by facilitating that conversation, we're able to shift the performance style much quicker and we're able to transition ownership of the role from me as a manager. And if I'm managing 10 people, that's tiring. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. To the 10 people, I can now have you own your role. You, you have said to me what the outcomes are and how you're going to achieve them. We've negotiated that. I check in now regularly to make sure that you're on track. I'm comfortable that things that we committed to are actually being achieved mm. and we have this ongoing negotiation. And through this ongoing negotiation, the most important thing is that we are nurturing the relationship between us. Mm. It's a purposeful relationship. We're not here because we need to be friends. We're here because we've got a common interest in achieving these outcomes and it's a purposeful relationship. Mm. Um, and we can then build on each other's strengths and using your salesperson's example from a few minutes ago, a person can say, oh, if you're really good at that part, I'm really good at this part, so we can work together. Now, if you had task-based job descriptions, that conversation would be incredibly difficult to facilitate. Yes. But yeah. when it's outcomes-based positions, it's easier to talk about because yeah. I can achieve the outcome using my strengths and somebody else can achieve the outcome using their strengths. Yes. And we're going to build a much more collaborative work environment yeah. that plays to people's strengths yeah. rather than trying to beat people out of their weaknesses. <laughs> and it's, so, it's a much more elegant team game, isn't it? It's way more enjoyable. And it, it just, um, for me, I can see the stress come off the business owner and just for them to understand that they don't have to micromanage anymore. It's not, that's a thing of the past because people are actually managing themselves and they're checking in and they, they're getting on the right track. They actually understand what the, the purpose of the business is and how they can contribute to that purpose. So um, we know how hard that is, Pauline. That's why we built the implementation process. Yes. Right. Um, the hardest thing in the world is to adopt that letting go, particularly if it's something you founded as a business owner. Mm. 
letting go is one of the hardest things to do. People sometimes flippantly say it isn't, but we all know it is. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the hardest things. We know that's really hard to do. And it's a big shift and a big transition. And that's why we created the implementation process as well, because it helps business owners and managers to make that transition and put somebody beside them as they're doing it. So there's a designated person who sits beside them as this thing is implemented Mm. to help them make that transition. And that's really important in this Mm. process. Mm. And... um, you know, we we hope that that becomes a lasting and ongoing relationship that nurtures the ongoing development of everyone in that team. Mm. Um, you know, it would, there's a lot of systems out there where you just go in and get your seven-day free trial and it's over to you, good luck. Mm. Um, we've deliberately not done that. In some ways that costs us. In some ways it's a competitive disadvantage for sure. But we just know that if we really want to be effective, that person sitting beside you as you make this make this step change into your delegated management process is very, very valuable, very, very useful, and it will help keep this process working for you over time. Mm. So it's, it's way less about um, the old model of outsourcing your HR department and actually taking responsibility and bringing it inside with really good tools to be able to manage it. And it's a system that goes on and on forever. So it's, you know, if you have a problem, you can look to your internal system rather than try to find outside help all the time. That's our intent. That's what we want to, yep. that's what we want this thing to lead to. Yep. Are we there yet? Maybe not. Yep. Um, you know, we, we take a very, very serious approach to continuous improvement in this process. Mm. Um, and we get a lot of feedback from people actually using it mm. so um, so that we get to understand where the frustrations and difficulties and challenges are and so yeah. that we can then ongoing improve this process. So it's an iteration on an iteration on an iteration. And it's, it's and fascinating it's- to watch people use it, isn't it, to see how they change over a period of time. So where they, where they once were... Um, having this really tight control on their business and feeling exhausted, the employees are now saying, oh, no, they're much more relaxed now. You know, things are way better. We're, we're all achieving what we're supposed to be achieving. And the boss is much more relaxed. And they're, they're confident that the team is delivering what is supposed to be delivered. So, you know, that's the ultimate outcome. That's, that's, um, that's really nice feedback when we get it. Yeah. And the reason why it's really nice feedback is because we know the hard work it takes to get there. So yes, <laughs> you know it's exactly. um, it's a process, and like any process, it has to be implemented, and no change is easy. <laughs> so for us, it is um, especially rewarding when we see our clients come through that journey. Yeah. But the most rewarding thing for us is seeing our H agents. Um, infusing that relationship with their clients and and becoming a a, a sort of mini part of their clients teams and and seeing that that relationship nurtured and growth and um you know it's intense for a while and it backs out um but the relationship's always there it's always that little little thing in the 
in the background that keeps things ticking along. And yeah. that's pretty rewarding for us when we see that. Yeah. Yeah. And from my perspective, having those kind of relationships with my clients, that's the biggest thing as well. Um, and even people saying to me years after coaching or, uh, you know, any kind of engagement saying, I remember what you said about such and such, or you're always sitting on my shoulder. And, you know, it's, it's like, mm-hmm. it's what we contribute as much as, you know, we, we learn as much as we teach and we just get to enjoy that relationship and watch that whole, the business blossom. That's the biggest reward for me is just watching that happen. So, and being involved in that. So that's really cool. Um, look, I think we could probably talk all day about this. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like me to ask you? I guess I'd like to give you a little insight into where the H factor might be going from here. So right, yeah. As I say, where continuous improvement is very much on our radar. We're always looking to refine that process and our focus will always be on the process. The system exists to deliver the process. So uh, we will always be starting from the process and looking at how we make that better and then we bring that back into the system and see what we need to do to make this facilitate this a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So we're working on that all the time and we'll be looking at how we continue to make that outcome conversation process a lot easier over time and seeing if there's some ways we can build some data from that to give the business leadership a bit of a, an overview of, you know, the organisation's progress on outcomes mm. and the challenges and where the challenges might sit. So we're looking at that. It's a long, long journey that we're on. Mm. Um, and this thing will continue to evolve as we continue to look at building that. So, mm. um, you know, we're not, we don't consider this as the, you know, we, we will continue to invest in building the system. Yeah. Um, and we do that by investing in understanding the process. So feedback from people about where, where they find managing people difficult is always really interesting to us because there's always a little light bulb moment. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's probably where we're heading and where we see the opportunities for our continued development of this process that we've built. Yeah. And not so much adding more functions, but trying to improve that process itself. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that continuous improvement because if it's too static, it never moves with the business. It never moves with the times. So I really love that whole function of, Let's see if we can keep this running smoothly and innovate and really deliver something that is completely in alignment with what customers want as well, with what business owners want. So, yeah, I really like I that. We've also got to be a leadership role to take there. It can't just be what people want. Sometimes they don't know. <laughs> they don't know what they want. What they want. I don't know what's and, for them, Andrew. <laughs> well, as... As business owners ourselves, we fall into that yeah. trap many, many times. So, yeah. and how often is it that somebody comes along with a solution and we go, "Oh, yeah, that was <laughs> why didn't we? Why didn't we know that?" Right. Um, so, there's a leadership role in that as well. It's not just yeah. responding to feedback and therefore doing stuff. It's mm. taking the leadership role and saying, "So, what would the best iteration of this practice look like?" And then being willing to go out and, and educate and get feedback on that and continually to reiterate and build it so mm. so that it's a collaboration. Um, 
H-Factor is the collaboration from the outset, of course. It's collaboration between me and Robin. It's collaboration between us and people like yourself, Pauline. It's a collaboration between you and your clients and it's a collaboration between the client and the system to, to make that system work for them. So mm. that approach is very important to us. Mm. Mm. And it's, it's working very nicely. It's like I like this. It's an organic approach. I really like it. So um, I think we might leave it there. Thank you so much you. to get in touch with the H Factor, to have a look and see what the H Factor is all about. Go to thehfactor.com.au and have a, a scroll through the website. There's some really interesting little videos in there to, to explain it to you. But if you'd like a demo, if you'd like anyone to come and have a chat with you, I'm more than happy to do that. And I'm sure Andrew is more than happy to get involved as well. So, um, Yes, watch this space. It's, it's evolving all the time. Thank you so much, Andrew. It was brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Pauline. Good to talk to you. You've been listening to the Bright Business Women podcast with Pauline Bright. For show notes and other resources, please visit paulinebright.com slash podcast. While you're there, subscribe for future episodes to not only listen to inspiring stories, but to dive deep into what makes you, you, and use your own unique backstory for positive impact. And be a great friend. Please share the podcast with people like you. The Bright Business Women podcast is proud to be part of the Experts On Air podcast network.